Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. And we are back. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. You guys are fantastic, as I always say, and uh, I'll never stop saying it because it's because of you. The show is reaching great heights, and we've had so much success. You know, I get emails and texts from people all over the world saying, you know, this this person's story saved my life. This person's uh, story, you know, made me want to be a better person. This person's story made me want to go into this type of career. And so it's amazing the influence these amazing guests that I have come on are having. And so thank you so much for sharing this. Um, I need to give a shout out to our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Living Recovery Interventions, First Digital, Mountain West Spine and Orthopedics, Thread Wallets, which is, they're fairly new, and so thank you, Thread Wallets. They're an amazing company. And then the music you hear at the beginning at the end is by my good friend Paul Cardall, award-winning pianist and musician. He's amazing, and so I'm grateful to have him on my team. So today, we're joined by Danny Rich. Danny, thank you for being here. You bet. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Danny, um, he's, he grew up here in Utah. He uh, played sports, he played baseball, and he also played football, and he also he was an amazing football player. I think if I'm correct, you are in the Weber State Hall of Fame. That's correct. All-time yeah. leading tackler. I have two records. All-time leading tackler and uh, most tackles in a game. Yeah, and you still look like you're in football shape. Uh, I'm serious. You look amazing. Nose. You look amazing. You also played uh, in the uh, United States Football League. And uh, you again, you've got records. You're just really good at what you do. You also, we just talked about off the air on July seventh. He'll be 18 years clean and sober. That is an amazing feat. Thank you. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank on you that, so Danny. much. I'm so I'm just so grateful happy. that you're here, Danny. And you know, my cousin Corey is the one that referred you to me. So we have a mutual, you know, family member slash friend. Uh, and I'm so grateful that he got us lined up and that you're willing to come here and share your story with us today. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, whatever I can say or my sharing my story will help somebody. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that it will. And so why don't we start, Danny, with uh, tell us. Oh, I do want to say I want to. Uh, you're also the owner of Express Recovery. You have 80 employees. And um, if and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as sure. well. And so, again, very you're a very passionate guy. You're a very confident guy. You put your nose to the grindstone and you get things done, which, uh, again, I, those are words that I heard from Corey. <laughs> <laughs> passionate, yes. Confident. Eh. Yeah. That's iffy. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about that. But uh, So why don't we start? Tell us about your childhood. Tell us about a little bit about your family. Okay. So I'm the youngest of five. I have four other siblings. Okay. Um, one, my sister passed away. Uh, about two years ago, I'm sorry uh, this to hear that. disease. Yes, mm, I'm sorry. Um, my father was a uh, second counselor in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Okay, and he smoked and drank, 
And my mom smoked my whole life, but I didn't even know it until she, until I was 12. They were just too embarrassed. So our family was a lot of secrets and, mm. and mysteries. And um, my mother, um, back in the day, she had depression and nervous breakdowns. And so she was hospitalized a couple of times with nervous breakdowns. And um, my father... Let's see, I was 13 years old and my father passed away. Oh, had a heart attack. He smoked uh, Pall Mall no fil- filters. He was in, served in World War II. So Dang. he passed away when I was 13. And my mother, um, three months to the day, committed suicide. <clears throat> um, so I was 13 years old. Oh my gosh. Dang. Without parents. My, my 19 year old brother raised me. And, and back then, for whatever reason, the state of Utah or who's ever in charge didn't foster us out or anything. My brother just raised us. My aunt was our legal guardian and she was about two miles away and we'd see her maybe one time per year. Man. So, um, so father passed away, you were 13 and then three years later, three months, three months, three months to the day And your mom, uh, ended her life. Yes. Wow. And the weirdest thing about it is it all happened about the same time in the morning and their bodies, when I woke up in the morning, their bodies were almost in the identical spot, which was really unusual. But my mother was, um, she was being treated with um, all the uh, tranquilizers. So she was on Valium and all that stuff. And um, she got to be really, really sick. And I think that that's actually what, what made my dad have a heart attack just the stress of it but uh yeah dealing with all that and and my mom would take me sometimes to guitar lessons and i would wait outside for her to pick me up and she wouldn't come so i'd have to walk across the street to the bar to get her out to come and get me um all this stuff you think is normal when you're a kid but when you're an adult and you have your own children you realize wow that was that was bad yeah um, yeah, because when you're growing up in it, you don't know any different. You're yeah. like, oh, this, this is probably what everyone's dealing with. Yeah. Well, let me, and again, there's a lot here. <laughs> you just shared a lot. Um, and again, I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. Um, how was your, how did you handle that as a 13-year-old, losing both parents within three months? How did, what was going on in your mind, do you, if you can recall? Um, this is really weird to say. I don't. Um, my, I was the youngest and after my father passed, my mom got worse and worse and my siblings would leave me and I would have to stay home and take care of my mom. And Hmm. I just remember this, this one experience was, um, I'm, I'm home with my mom and she's on the couch and she's maybe taking a breath every 10 seconds. Her breathing was very, very shallow. I thought, Oh my gosh, my mom is going to die. Like what's going on right here? And, um, so I would just have to sit and kind of babysit her and I tried to wake her up. I tried to wake her up like five times and I couldn't wake her up. So I finally called her brother, um, Mm -hmm. my uncle and I said, I can't wake my mom up. And so he came down, grabbed my mom by the shoulders, shook her, slapped her in the face. She finally woke up and he tossed her on the ground. He said, wake up. You're scaring the F out of your kid and left her on the ground and turned and walked out. And my mom didn't talk to me for two weeks after I did that because she was mad at she me. She was for mad telling. that you called. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And I'm not going to say it was 
I mean, it was, it was devastating to lose her, but I just, I, I really don't know how to explain it other than um, I didn't have to watch her anymore and yeah. take care of her. And, and f- without being insensitive <clears throat> here, it was almost kind of like a relief mm-hmm. that you knew that you didn't as a kid. Because that, I mean, how traumatic that is as a kid, I mean, it's choking me up to even think about it, um, to deal with seeing your mom in that state. So I could see why there was a part of you that was going, you know, I almost felt a little bit of relief knowing that I didn't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. And it, thanks for putting it that way because <laughs> I don't, yeah. you know, ever want to say that, but it was almost like yeah. it was a relief because I was stuck home taking care of her. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. So how is, so you're dealing with this, that happens, you know, it's you and your siblings. What do you guys do at this point? Um, my one sister was married. My 19 year old brother took care of me, but it was kind of nice at first. You could, I could, I had no one to answer to. I slept over. I had sleepovers at my house. I slept. I didn't spend very many nights at home and I just was free to do whatever I wanted. Were you sad or depressed? I mean, or were you just kind of blocking it out? Do you feel or? I feel like I was blocking it out. And I also feel like, you know, people in the community kind of rallied a little bit, you know, and I, my friends, um, stepped up their game, and so everybody okay. kind of knew, and, and yeah. then I think that my friends kind of came to my rescue, although it wasn't the right type of friends, um, <laughs> yeah. and I got involved in sports, but I was playing sports when my parents were still alive, yeah. um, and that was a really good outlet. Yeah. And when I was 15, I think I um, started smoking pot, and my brother and I would take bong hits for breakfast. We would, mm. you know go to school You're the 19 year old mm-hmm. that was taking care of you yes so he was doing it as well mm-hmm. okay and um i think I, I smoked pot every day of my life from 15 until i was in my 20s um yeah. i did not miss a day except for on game days i would always make sure i smoked after the game mm. i wouldn't smoke the day of the game so now obviously we talked about this in the in the intro you're very you're you know very excelled at sports especially football um were you like really dedicated at that time too, like practicing and lifting weights and making sure that you were the best you could be despite even though you're smoking and yes, that kind of thing? I was. <laughs> I was always I was always playing sports or working at it, trying to get better, lifting weights. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like you said. I, I look back and I'm just like, man, I, I didn't even scratch the surface of my true potential mm. because of doing that. Because mm. it held you back. Even though you really excelled, it could have been even further to, because of what you were doing. For sure. You know, and that's a big message right now to our listeners because, you know, especially with marijuana nowadays, you know, there's there's the debate, is it good, is it bad, is it, it's no big deal, it is a big deal. I mean, there's all these things. But one thing, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. So, you know, I, I smoked pot for almost nine years myself, and uh, – there's one argument I think no pot smoker can argue with, and it's this, this fact, that pot robs you of your passion. Maybe not at first, but eventually. It takes you, keeps you from doing the things that you should be doing. Apathy becomes your passion if we habitually smoke. Even though you excelled and you were, again, you're this go, 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 nose to the grindstone guy, had you not been that most kids, what it does is it kind of paralyzes them in the sense that they just don't do anything. What do you think of that? I had some of my very best ideas while I was high. 
I never, ever followed through with one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. It's just, yeah. you know, well, <laughs> let's do this. Oh, well, let's have another bong first. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And then we never would get it done. And, and it's always, it was in the back of my mind in the late, like in the fourth quarter during the game, sometimes I would, I would be like, struggling for a breath and I think oh, I got to quit smoking pot yeah. like it was always something that was just like I know my life could be better if I quit doing yeah. this but I just couldn't do it yeah and you know it's just it makes it you know makes you lethargic and and not wanting to to do anything you yeah. know it's like you said it stills your passion it kind of numbs you yeah wow well, so you're now living with your brother, you're smoking, you smoked into your 20s. Did that lead to other drugs and other things eventually? Um, yeah, every time, you know, during football season, we one or two days a week, and then after the game, we'd go out and party pretty hard, and yeah. I would try cocaine a little bit during college, not much. We couldn't afford it, um, but always, you know, we would go down to the bars and, you know, do that thing, do that whole scene, but yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, other than every day, I was just smoking pot every day, but I wasn't drinking it every day at that time. At that time. Correct. Okay. Um, as, as life was moving forward, you're living with your brother, you're, you, you now, you know, you, you played baseball and football, right, in high school. Correct. And you, uh, you get a scholarship to Weber State. Correct. So at that point, are you, are you still struggling because of your past at all, meaning are you sad or depressed because of what you've been through? Or are you like, man, hey, I'm, I'm going to college now. I've got a scholarship. Did you feel like you, you know, you kind of like, hey, I've kind of got the world where I want it right now? Um, I, I think to a point. Um, like I said, there was a lot of community around me. And mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of support from friends and my brothers and my sisters. And they were all really happy for me getting a scholarship. I, I yeah. got offered from Utah State and Weber State. Um, I really don't know why I picked Weber State. I think it was the big fish in a little pond versus the big pond in the little fish. <laughs> yeah. That was the, what the coach said. Uh, okay. Um, but I was just focused on, you know, playing football and being the best that I could be. And and uh, they always got a summer job. So I was always have been a hard worker and, and life was good. And I got to start, my very first game I got to start in college was my freshman year. The guy that was playing in front of me was um, late for a, team meeting and so he got oh. demoted oh wow and that's the last time he was on the field because I had I finally had my opportunity to play and we actually beat Utah State it's the only time Weber State's ever beat uh, Utah State in football it would have been 19 it's 1979 or oh, wow. 80 right around yeah. there okay so, and yeah. then I got my opportunity and and after that it was just you know they saw what you could do they're like wow look at this guy I was ready He's for the opportunity. He's now going to be our starter. <laughs> yep, I was ready for the opportunity. Wow. What position? So I played outside linebacker. Okay. And then my senior year, I, they moved me to inside linebacker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that had to feel good knowing that, man, now I'm starting freshman yes. year. I mean, mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive. And, and, you know, still back to, you know, kind of the weed thing. It's just like, oh, my gosh, like, it could be better if I just quit this. But I just, I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. I just could not do it. Yeah, and I got good grades, and I think maybe if something would have started to go bad, I it may have prompted me into doing that. Yeah. But everything was just was going good. It seemed to be going in a good direction Correct. at that point. Yeah, yeah. So um, you end up having a you know, like I said, you made it made it to the Weber State Hall of Fame, which is, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. 
Thank and you. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> like you. it really truly is amazing. Did you ever think of that when you were playing? Like, okay, I'm gonna one day be in the Weber State Hall of Fame. <laughs> no, that never came to mind. Yeah, but how? I mean, how does that feel now, knowing that you accomplished that? Um, I think it's. I think it's pretty cool. I really, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> kind of nice to have a record that no one's beat, and it's been 1981, 19. Uh, it's like a 40-something-year-old record. Um, yeah, is the that the one most tackles in a single game? Most tackles in a game, and I'm still the all-time leading tackler at Weber State. Wow. And that so is having so that cool. record, I think that means more to me than the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and again, especially with what you had gone through as a child, to be able to go through, because uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. A lot of times when someone like yourself goes through, I mean, losing both parents at such a young age, and not only losing them, but the dealing with their seeing them suffer as a child, which is traumatic. Mm-hmm. A lot of times kids in your situation become a statistic. You know, you end up, Yes, you were smoking pot, but yet you were still getting good grades, going to school, you earned a scholarship. But most kids go the complete other direction. They start doing every drug under the sun, they get in trouble with the law, they get arrested, they go to detention, eventually they end up in jail. You're, I mean, you could have easily gone down that road. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. This is why it's so impressive that despite what you went through, on some level, in a, in a big way, you excelled in a, above and beyond what thank was you. expected. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. That's nice. Yeah. I see this all the time. This is what I deal with <laughs> with clients. I see it every day. Yeah. And so to hear someone. So as you move forward, when, after, so you're done with Weber State, you played in the U.S., how do you say it? The United States Football League. United played States for Football the Los League. Angeles Express. Okay. How was that? Um, interesting experience. Um, I played three years. Um, I, and I guess it's known for like Steve Young yeah. was on our team and he signed a $40 million contract. And I think, um, the best part of it was the men that I met. I met some really good men. I met yeah. some not so good men, mm-hmm. but just the camaraderie that, sure. the, you know, I mean, that's always really, really good. Um, at the time, so I got married when I was 22. I married a girl named Jody Bergman okay. and we had a daughter and her name's Amber, um, Bell now she's since been married. Okay. Um, but once I had my child, football became different to me. I, um, I didn't want to risk my body anymore for whatever reason. I just thought, God, I got to be able to enjoy my daughter. And, and so, yeah. um, it for whatever reason it made me um i think i lost my edge a little bit i used to think get me a job making good money and i would quit this stuff in a heartbeat college was so fun but once i was playing um professionally it just got to be a job and and they treated yeah. you differently yeah and they didn't care about you um if you were hurt they would just bring somebody else in so you didn't want to be hurt because if they did then somebody might take your job and yeah so you would just have to pay to through week. pain when you probably shouldn't be correct yeah okay hurting your body yeah correct and, yeah. and so it just it it changed everything for me for whatever reason and and i did play three years i when i came out of college i had some neck issues I actually signed originally with the Denver Broncos and they released me before I even practiced because of I had a P 
pinched nerve C6 and C7. And they had somebody that had just ended up suing them over the exact same thing. And they're just like, we're not going to take a chance on you. And then luckily the USFL came along and did a tryout at Beaumont High School, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. And (laughs) ran for a guy and he said, like, I'll sign you. And just went there and it was, it was cool. Yeah. Um, it was also really neat traveling around the country. We went, you know, we played in New Jersey and yeah. Oakland and Denver and Birmingham, Alabama and Jacksonville. And so it was fun. Yeah. That part. That part. <laughs> so when you had your daughter, you decided you were going to maybe get out of there and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, are you still struggling with substance abuse and things like that? Is it getting worse at this point or, you know, take us to where that was starting to lead you? So I'm, I'm still smoking a pot at the time. Um, and we would, uh, same thing, two, three times a week, we'd go out and have beers and, yeah. and with the teammates. And then that's when I, I started to do cocaine a little bit more. I would go over to, I remember, you know, we had a lot of guys on our team that made a lot of money. And we had a particular person that, from USC that got a lot of money. Mm. I remember going over to his house and he had a paper plate on his table and I don't even know how much cocaine it was, but it was a pile of cocaine and he would take a cigarette and break off the end of it and suck it up in the cigarette. And, and so that probably my frequency of my cocaine use probably was up at that time. Maybe once every couple weeks or once a month. And, but you know, I never would go out and buy it or anything. If somebody had it, I would share yeah. with them. Yeah. So are things getting out of control at this point with substance abuse and no. things like that? No. No, not out of control. Everything I mean, you're still, and what I mean by that is you're still functioning and getting things done that you need to Correct. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, to a point, right? <laughs> yes, to a point, as well as you can. Obviously not as good. You know, it, that's the thing is your mind is so powerful and my mind has tricked me for the majority of my life telling me, you know, things that aren't true about myself. You know, I can do this or I deserve this or I'm entitled to this. Look how much, look how hard I work. And, and then you, you know, have those entitlement issues where I deserve to do this on this night or I deserve not to be home with my wife and my kids. And uh, because I, I work so hard or, or whatever. And so that's when my entitlement issues really started. Okay. And talk about that a little bit more because I agree with you. Our minds are so powerful, both positively and negatively. And I I really, you know, in the book, uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, he basically says, and I'm summarizing this, he says, the number one cause of human suffering is our own thinking, you know. And when we feel entitled, like, yeah, I deserve this, I do, you know, you're putting yourself in danger and putting yourself at risk of, I mean, you easily could have, you know, overdosed or died or you don't, I mean, all kinds of things that could have happened. So talk about that like this, how your mind was really, you know, re- you were wrestling with the, the, the narrative, I guess. Well, and I, I, I think I, I touched on it a little bit is just, you know, there was something always in the back of my mind when I would get tired or in the fourth quarter, like, why am I partying still? Or all these little things that, you mm-hmm. know, wh- I shouldn't have went out last night. And, you know, we, we always had a curfew at you know 10 o'clock when we would go out of town to the games and sometimes we would sneak out and I remember one time we were playing in San Antonio and it was in June 
and there was about 10 of us, you know, we all snuck out and went out after and um, after bed check and got drunk the night before a game, which I don't think I've ever done before. And I just remember um, going down the field and it was like hotter than heck and humid. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And, you know, I just remember looking around at the guys that I went out with and partied and they were just like sitting there shaking their heads. And, you know, it's just you got a game that day and you're going to go out and do that the night before the game. It's just, right. it's not smart. Right. But yeah. So, um, at this point, does your wife know that you're partying like this? Does she, yes. is she concerned? Is she, are you guys talking about, it? are you trying to hide it from her? What's going on with that? So I've always, always hid my marijuana use from her. Um, I think she knew and we would talk about it and she could smell it on me sometimes. I'd say, mm -hmm. yeah, I would smoke with these guys or whatever, mm -hmm. but she no way approved of it, no way um, agreed with it. Yeah. Was very disappointed in me when I did it. Yeah. So, we mentioned in the beginning you're you're coming up on 18 years of being clean and sober, mm -hmm. which again is amazing. What what led up to you stopping and quitting and and getting your life away from that kind of thing? Did something happen? Talk about that for a minute. Okay, um, so I have three kids total. I have Amber that I've talked about, and I have yeah. a son named Andrew and a son named Austin. I also, with my new wife, I have a stepdaughter, Tasia. Okay. And um, I, I think what led up to it is I went to, um, I got into cocaine really bad with the place where I used to work. Okay. Um, I was doing it every day. And I went into treatment the very first time, I think it was, would have been in 1996 and <clears throat> just cocaine had overtaken my life and my thoughts and yeah. everything and everything involved around getting, consuming, buying, snorting, partying, or cocaine. And so I went into treatment the first time and that was at the old Doxy Hatch which was on 39th, right over by St. Yeah, Mark's. Yeah, Doxy Hatch. <laughs> and I got sober, and I went to the gym. After I got a treatment, I went to the gym, and I asked a guy I knew who was an alcoholic, and I said, asked him to be my sponsor. And he's like, you go to AA meetings? He goes, AA meetings just make me want to drink. So I wouldn't do that. And that's what I needed to hear. So I didn't go to AA meetings. I didn't change my behaviors. I didn't change my friends. I didn't change anything. I was the designated driver now. Mm. And you know, if you go to the barbershop enough times, pretty soon you're going to get a haircut. So I stayed sober, white knuckle, no meetings or anything for four and a half years, four years. And then, um, I had a friend that was playing the NFL and, uh, we all went out of town to watch him play. And uh -huh. one of my friends had some cocaine. And I was just drinking again little bits at a time and I did some cocaine with him and that just started me down the just the darkest road in the history of dark roads. Yeah. So I used for a long time <clears throat> and I didn't go to the gym because I go to the gym every day. I didn't go to the gym for about a year and a half and I would see people at the store that would see me and they would say, oh my gosh, are you okay? Do you have cancer? Like. Physically, I just, I just, didn't. I just changed. You know, people couldn't even recognize me, and and then I became isolated. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want anybody to see me. I would just, uh, it was awful. Anyway, my wife at the time, it was the Fourth of July. 
and I came home and I was getting the shower and I was taking off my clothes and my bag of cocaine fell on the ground. Oh man. And <laughs> the biggest act of love ever in the history of acts of love. She kicked me out. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so good. this lady was my high school sweetheart and she would, she tried so hard and she would do everything for me. And it was probably the most, the hardest thing that she's ever done. And at the time and for the next year, I was angry about it. But now it was just such an act of love. Yeah. She saved my life. Yeah. So she kicks me out wow. on the 4th of July and I go to a friend's house. I told her I'm going into rehab again. I go to my friend's house, we get a bunch of cocaine and we step for two days straight. So July 7th is my son's birthday. That's how selfish and self-centered I become is I hadn't slept for two days before. So I called my wife and I said, can I come home and see my son Austin? And she's like, sure. So I come home, it's about nine in the morning and my, my kids are just really upset with me yeah. um, as their father and my son who it's his birthday. I say, Hey, happy birthday, son. He's at the computer and, and he acknowledges me and I'd say, well, I'm going to just go lay down for a second. So I went and lay down in our bed. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. And the next thing I know, I woke up at three in the morning and my wife had called my siblings and said, please come get your brother. He needs help. Hmm. So they piled me in um, their car and I went to LDS hospital. That was the last time I, sp I spent the night in my house. Um, so I was completely out. Um, I got, I detoxed at the hospital and then I entered a program called Dayspring. Mm -hmm. um, I was living with my sister in a really small room and she was married with kids and two dogs. So I had the room yeah. with the dogs Wow! and that started my journey in recovery. Wow. That had to have felt really defeating knowing that kind of how your kids were view viewing you at the time and seeing you on that birthday just passed out in the bed. That had to have been a really tough thing to, to accept, I guess. Yeah, and, and I don't, th you know, you become so selfish and so self-centered. Like, is that even a thought in your head at that time? It's just yeah. like, oh my gosh, I have to quit doing drugs now. You know, you're, you're, just, you're just thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about your children or the impact that you're having on their lives. Um, thank goodness it's not like that today, but I just had become such a narcissist and so self-centered that it was just everything was about me and I wasn't yeah. even thinking about them. Yeah. Now I do and now I, you know, I, I've had some on again, off again relationships with my daughter. Um, we went five years without even talking mm. because she just yeah. couldn't quite forgive me, I yeah. don't think, and that's okay. You know, I had a, a guy in AA, I was complaining about that situation with him and he said, after all the stuff you've done in your life, you, your daughter, you don't deserve to ever to be talked to again. If she talks to you ever again, you're lucky. So now that we have a good relationship. Yeah. So I am you're lucky. lucky. Yes, you I am are. lucky. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a story, man. That's unbelievable. So 18 years on July 7th, 
You know, so you, you turn your life around, you start doing the right things, you start getting help and getting better. Um, what did you start doing at that point? I mean, you know, we talked about at the beginning, you're the owner of Express Recovery. Mm-hmm. When did that come into to fruition for you or, or were you doing other, other things before all that? So I owned Express Recovery at that point in time. Oh, at that point, okay. Mm-hmm. And it was almost out of money, almost out of everything. I would just, yeah. Um, I'm just lucky to still even have my business. Um, but I'll just talk a little bit about, you know, and I hope this is okay to share, but this is kind of my spiritual awakening or yeah, what absolutely. happened. You that, share what it, this is your story. Changed you my life. Mm-hmm, please. So my best friend at the time, so no one would really talk to me except for my siblings. So my wife had kicked me out of the house. And um, I'd made a lot of enemies. My best friend, who's always been by my side, is my son, Andrew. And, and um, so he would have been, at the time, he was 18 going on 19. Okay. And I was living at my sister's. He would come and pick me up in Clinton, drive me to AA in Salt Lake, wait for me pick me up, drive me back, and then uh, drive home back to Ogden. So he was living with his mom in Ogden at the time. And this is all during high school, and he yeah. played sports. And and so he he just was literally my best friend. Um, wow. About, I'm going to say, so when he turned 19 in September and went on an LDS mission. Okay. And so... Here was my best friend, the person that was by my side, is now gone. Right. And um, I'm, have you heard of HALT? Um, so in recovery or in, in day spring, they taught us about HALT. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You want to try to avoid those four things. Mm-hmm. So at the time, my son had been out on a mission. He was in Portland, Oregon. He was probably out about four or five months at the time. Yeah. And I had just gotten in a huge fight with my business partner at work, so I was super angry. Yeah. The night before, my wife at the time, soon to be ex-wife, had just taken all my stuff out of the house and threw it on the yard of my new house where I was staying. Oh, man. And it was raining. I was looking out the window <laughs> just crying. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> I was super lonely. Yeah. Like very lonely early in recovery. It's just, I was just really, sure. really lonely. My, my son was gone and <clears throat> tired. Um, I wasn't hungry. So I was 75% of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, which they told me to avoid. So I got in a fight with my business partner. It would have been about three in the afternoon and I came home and on the way home, I says, I'm using, I'm going to call. And I'd been sober for five or six months at the time. I'm going to call my dealer. Yeah. So I get home. I punch the number in my phone. I get ready to hit send. And one thing I learned in treatment was pause and pray. Mm. And so I just thought, I'm going to try this. Never got on my knees to pray in my life. Right. And I just said, God, I'm, I'm begging you, please help me change my life. Like, I want to change my life. Please help me. And nothing happened. No relief. I must have said... 50 prayers that night. Just help me, God. Please help me. Like, I don't want to, you know, I just could not get rid of this angst. 
And never in my life has anything ever stopped me once I've made the decision to use. That day I made that decision I was going to use, except for I paused and I prayed. And so finally it gets to be about nine o'clock at night and I just think, okay, I'm gonna go to bed. I made it through today. If I feel this way in the morning, I'll call him in the morning. But when tomorrow comes, it's gonna be today. All we have to do really is stay sober for 24 hours. So I get into bed and my phone rings. It's an unidentified call, which I never, ever, ever answer. Yeah. And I answer it. And it's my son that's on a mission in Portland, Oregon. And it was at the time when missionaries couldn't call home. Yeah, ever. right. You never heard from them unless no. Christmas or Father's Day. Mother's Day. Or Mother's they Day. They don't let them oh, call yeah, Father's right. Day. You're right. That's right. The dad's got the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dad, I've, I've had this feeling all day that you're in trouble. Are you okay? Oh, man. And... They teach you before your kids go on a mission to never say anything negative. Always tell them everything's okay. And I said, yes, son, everything's fine. What's up? And he goes, I just, I just had this feeling. And I went and talked to my stake president. And he said that I could call you. And I said, everything's fine. He said, okay, I'll talk to you later. Boom. And I got, that was the end of the conversation. But man, it's just like, at that moment, I knew God knows me. Mm-hmm. He loves me. He wants me to be happy, healthy, and free. Like, I have the most powerful person in the universe that knows me. Wow. I broke nine of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Like, seriously, like, I'm nothing. I'm... Yeah. I'm nothing. But he wants to help me. Mm -hmm. That changed my life. At that point, I, I, you know, I hadn't been to church. I mean, once my son started going to mission, I would go every once in a while. But then I started to read scriptures. I started to go to church. I started to, like, I wanted to know more about this person that knows me. Yeah. Because he reached out to me, <clears throat> and I want to know more about him. Yeah. And it changed my life. And... Uh, I'm sorry that I get emotional. It's really no, hard to talk sorry. about. Um, don't be sorry. This is great. But <clears throat> I never told my son that story mm. until the day he got married and we were at his dinner. And it's interesting to hear his side of it. Yeah. Because I've never heard his side of it. I never ever once talked to him about it. Um I'll tell you kind of a little bit about his psyche, um, what I had done to him. So I went to pick him up from his mission. And at the time I'm divorced. So my ex-wife's in another room, I'm in a room. My son's up talking to me, we're picking him, we're going home. And I said, I'm gonna run down and get a cup of coffee. And he's like, okay. So I leave the room and I come back, I forgot something. And I'm like, oh, I forgot my wallet. So I come back in my wallet. My son was going through my luggage. Mm. that's that's how much mistrust my family had for me yeah um but this is today 
he's a bishop. <laughs> he's actually my bishop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what are the odds, right? What are the odds of that? <laughs> so anyway, I, I oh became active. I became active member okay. of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and and That's um, awesome. <laughs> you know when the pandemic hit. So I, I'm a three time a week AA guy. Mm-hmm. The best thing that I've done since I've been sober is I worked eight years as a step leader at Dayspring. Okay. Uh, volunteer work. I would come in and on Tuesday nights I would take um, alcoholics and drug addicts through the first three steps of the big book of AA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just so powerful and mm-hmm. it was so good for my sobriety. Like I've just yeah. had all these things fall into place to help keep me sober. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. That is crazy. But crazy beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What a story. And it's interesting. I think a, a good lesson for all of us, and I love what you shared. A lot of times, if not almost every time, when we say a prayer, it's usually answered through another person. It's, and, and I think sometimes we might expect so this big shining light in the room, or and, and not saying that that can't happen either. But most of the time, what I have found, even in my own prayers, is it's usually answered through someone else reaching out to me going, hey, I felt something. I needed to reach out to you. And a lot of times we'll deny it. I'm good, you know, like <laughs> you did. I'm fine, son. Thanks for calling. <laughs> and then you hang up going, whoa, you know. And so, no, I think that's a really powerful, oh, wow, what a story. Man, you have uh, you have lived quite the life and been through so much. And I'm glad to hear that you're, back in good gracious with your with your children you know and uh and you're now remarried correct remarried yes so i have a lovely wife rebecca and she's so that's awesome she's so supportive and loving. that's great and i just love how dedicated you are with make you know with your sobriety and making sure you're doing the things you need to be doing and i love that yeah. you know one of the things i love out of the big book it says faith without works is dead so the opposite must be true Faith with works must be alive. That's really good. You know, and, and I, I've always looked at it that way. It's like, and here you are exercising faith by putting in the work. Therefore, it's alive in you. It's, you I can see it in you. You're like, you got a good countenance about <laughs> you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you truly can see that. And it's because because of that faith that you have in the, all of this. And what a beautiful story. Hey, thank you. That's really nice. Yeah. It's a... I've learned all these little acronyms in AA and in treatment, <laughs> but the one that came to my mind that night was PUSH. Yeah. And it stands for pray until something happens. Mm. And that's what I did. And it's like yeah. you said, I've read your book and you know, I, I take my family every year. We go to Punta Mita, Mexico and I read your book and my wife looks over and is like, what is wrong with you? Like I'm <laughs> literally bawling right next to the pool. And I said, our stories are so similar. They really are. They're so similar. And um, you know, I didn't give all my money to any girl at a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. It's just, you know, these little things that yeah. happen and, and, you know, they say that God works in mysterious ways and, and maybe the way that he answers are very mysterious, but it's not very much of a mystery. You just have to ask for help and be sincere about it and put in put in the work like you said to try to change your life and and um you know we all go through challenges or trials and and i know you talked a lot about this about being a victim in your book and yeah and man that's just 
if you have that victim mentality, you don't have a chance to ever get sober. Yeah. You really don't. Yeah, you stay stuck. You stay stuck. Yeah. You know, the opposite of victim stance is accountability. And I know when I started taking accountability for my life is when things started to change and my suffering stopped. Mm -hmm. When we play victim, our suffering perpetuates. It continues. And so, no, very well spoken, very well said. Um, A question, kind of a a last question for you, Danny. Um, If there's someone listening to you right now who's struggling and they're in a dark place, what would you tell that one person right now? You've already said some amazing yeah. things, but I think the most powerful thing that's happened to me is when you know that God knows you, and if you're out there and you feel like He doesn't know you, trust me, He does. He really does, and and He wants us all to be He wants us all to be healthy, happy, and free. And when I worked a lot at Dayspring, the place that I went, I would say twenty percent of the people that came in there. They didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And it made me so sad. And not I wasn't sad for them because, and I wasn't mad because they didn't believe in what I believed. I was sad because they're missing out on such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, how could you not tap into that? Yeah. And I also found, Todd, that the higher educated the people were, the less likely they were to believe in God. And I don't know why that is, but doctors, uh, pilots would come in there. If you couldn't see it, smell it, touch it, then it can't be true. Yeah. But you just have to have faith. Yeah. You really have to have faith. And it takes a lot of humility. Yeah. Right? Because when we're more educated, I think what happens is we, we know a lot. Yeah. I know. I'm, I know more than this kind of yeah. thing. And so, yeah, that is that can be a challenge for a lot of people. and. But it's great to see you where you're at and how you've handled that. And that's great advice for someone who is struggling. And you've already, you know, all these great things you've already shared. So get on your knees and say a prayer. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, I mean, you're you're not a social media guy. (laughs) (laughs) On purpose. I have addictive personality. I don't do that on purpose. I mean, normally what I do at the end of these, I go, well, if someone wants to reach out to you, how do they find you on social media? And you're like, well... There isn't any, but if someone did want to reach out to you, could they send you an email? Would you be comfortable sharing that sure. with our listeners? You bet. What's your email, So Danny? my email address is drich, R-I-C-H, at expressrecovery.com, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. Beautiful. And I'm sorry I don't have social media, but <laughs> addictive personalities no. and social media don't Matter of fact, I, I actually envy you. Um, you know, I have it because of my business and I, you know, I promote on there and stuff. But when I hear you say that, I'm like, man, I wish that was me. I, I really do. And uh, I think that's great that you know that that would open a door for you that you don't want to go down. You don't even want to risk it. That's you putting in the work. That's the faith you're talking about. So congrats to you on that. Well, and my wife's on Twitter and I, and when she's on Twitter a lot, she gets super honorary. I'm like, wow, I do not, I do not want to be this way. Yeah. No, she I just hear you. fights with people online. I'm like, why do you even care? Like it yeah. just makes no sense. It can cause a lot of issues, but, uh, well, Hey Danny, this has been such a pleasure to be sitting here with you face to face in hearing your story. And I have a lot, a lot of, like I said, I read your book, and that oh, means a lot, man. It really, 
it really touched me and and yeah. I'm so grateful for you and what you're doing to help people and thank you and your you know your sober community and all mm-hmm. the work that you put in and, and thank you it's just it's so awesome thank you that means a lot and I'm grateful for Corey who got us lined up yeah. and uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on and I know that people listening to this have really gotten a lot out of this good Saving lives, man. Good. I really believe that. Well, do you still play basketball? Could you think you could take a 61-year-old man in the post? I don't know. You're built pretty good. I could probably shoot a jump shot over you. I don't know about posting you up, but uh, <laughs> I could try. <laughs> but no, that's this great. Uh, I thank you for being on. and uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, folks, there you are. I told you this was going to be another great episode, and it did not disappoint whatsoever. Uh, Danny Rich, uh, what an amazing story. If you're struggling, you think you can't overcome, Danny's living proof that you can. And you, we just have to exercise that faith, humble ourselves a little bit, and if not a little bit, a lot. But it, it's worth it, and you guys can overcome this. Please reach out to Danny. Send him an email. I'll have the email in the show notes that you'll be able to just click on, and you can go right to and send him a question if you have one. And uh, if you have a question and you can't get a hold of him, reach out to me, and I'll send it on to Danny for you. And we'll make this happen. If you have someone who's struggling with addiction, um, with depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, or if they're even struggling with a higher power, send them this episode because it'll break the ice. And when they hear Danny's words around all of that, they'll be like, wow, if this big, tough NFL linebacker (laughs) can do this, we all can. So awesome. I love you guys. And until next time.